Welcome to the August 14th, 2018 edition of Liberation Station, the radio show with Chris Steiner. That's me, your host. And tonight we have an exciting topic that soon we'll get to after the news. We'll be speaking with Russ Tanner of GlobalSkyWatch.com. And we'll be discussing geoengineering, which includes chemtrails and remedies for disorders that are related to chemtrail spraying, like Morgellons disease that sufferers report experiencing, unfortunately, as soon after the heavier chemtrail spraying, as well as we'll be talking about mercury contamination and remediation, how to detox from all these different contaminants. Uh, it's so important to do what we can for our health, even though it's not our fault. We need to do what we can, and I find that when I do all I can, taking the shotgun approach, that I do feel much better myself. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what works from experience, from my experience, from Russ's experience, and uh, hopefully from your experience. You can reach us here at 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000 or toll-free at 866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. The show's website is theliberationstation.com. That's T-H-E, liberationstation.com, where right after the show, you'll find the archive within about a half hour after the show. And um, we're broadcasting. I'd like to hear uh, some reception reports, if you wouldn't mind contacting me, whether it's through email, chris at theliberationstation.com, or if you misspell that, you can type anything, ABC if you like, at theliberationstation.com, and I'll get your email. We're broadcasting on uh, Clearwater, WTAN, 1340 AM, 106.1 FM, out of Dade City, WDCF 1350 AM, Zephyr Hills, WZHR 1400 AM, and 104.3 FM. You can also listen to us streaming live. Just go to theliberationstation.com and click on the page Listen Archives, Listen slash Archives, and you can stream live there as well as Join in in the chat room where you can contribute. You can remain anonymous, see what other people are saying if you just have a short comment to say. Or if you're shy and you don't want to call in, just uh, post right there and I'll check out whatever you, your feedback is in the chat room. You can put your name or you can just stay anonymous. And uh, see that now we have Frank Hobson, a good friend of mine, joining in tonight for a little while as co-host. Are you there, Frank? Can you hear me? I can read you now. All right. Oh. Yeah, I'm here. All right. Okay, we're doing some uh, technical shuffling here tonight uh, behind the scenes. Won't get into all that, but we're stretching the limits and experiencing <laughs> new connections here uh, in order to bring on the guests. So I think I'm, I think it's working out pretty well. So let's start out the show with talking a lot about uh, news. Let's let's start out with. Um, news for the first time uh, getting into different topics and uh, for one thing Frank I know you wanted to talk about the Maurice McLaughlin shooting by uh, pardon me um, 
<laughs> where's my script here? The um, um, the shooting uh, that uh, that uh, Pinellas County just uh, uh, pressed charges of uh, mur the murder of Maurice McLaughlin, and um, you know finally after Sheriff Gualtieri decided to not press charges, uh, he he is uh, pressing charges. So um, he's pr uh, pressing charges against Michael Dredjka, where. Um, now, just to preface the story, if you saw the surveillance video, it shows in Clearwater where uh, Michael Dredjka approached uh, Marquise McLaughlin's girlfriend, who is uh, in the SUV of Marquis McLaughlin, as Marquis McLaughlin was in the convenience store, and, and the dispute was over a parking space that for which uh, Marquis McLaughlin's uh, girlfriend did not have a disabled permit. And so uh, Marquis McLaughlin came out of the convenience store and shoved Michael Dredjka to the ground. And uh, Michael Dredjka being a concealed firearms carry permit holder, uh, then, um, as he's on his butt on the ground, shoots Marquis McLaughlin as he had already backed up a good three feet or three steps. So, uh, originally, Sheriff Bob Gualtieri, Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Gualtieri, did not press charges and went on a tirade of why Michael Dredjka should not be charged and under the Florida statutes for stand your ground. And the you know, fact is that uh, Michael Dredjka should not have felt in fear for his life because Marquis McLaughlin was already backing up uh, three steps, as I mentioned. So, Frank, what do you have to say about this? Well, I read an article or rather a posting by James McLinus, and he ran for sheriff against Baltieri uh, in 2016. And he points out a few things that are kind of strange about this. So far, the only buddy, the, the only person who's defending this guy is Galtieri. And, and nobody else has this opinion in, in the media. And then finally, McCabe, who is Galtieri's friend and who's all about um, prosecuting people over frivolous things, he decides to press charges on um, Dredjka, manslaughter, which I, I think, you know, that's the proper charge. That is the proper charge. But, you know, why did Galtieri call a press conference about this, you know, to draw attention to it? He, and James McLinus, uh, he points out how this could be, you know, subterfuge of some type to ultimately strike down the stand your ground law because Gaultieri is claiming this is a stand your ground law situation. And obviously it's not because McLaughlin was turning away. What did you say? Three steps? And, and he was halfway turned. He was not a threat. So. So Dredjka, when he shot him, he had to have shot him in anger. And I don't know if you saw the video just before he got shoved, but Dredjka was approaching that car and was gesturing, you know, in a very exaggerated way, in a, a, a threatening way, if you ask me. If, if I was McLaughlin and I came out of that store and I saw someone doing that to my wife, I'd go up and shove them too or get in between them at the very least, you know? I mean... I, did, I thought that was a natural response. Well, I don't know what was said. Uh, probably depends on what was said, but there's no audio on the on the video. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't make any judgment on that. But um, Even without the audio, 
looking at it visually, you could tell that he was being forceful with what he was saying, and it looked threatening to me. Hmm. So I don't blame McLaughlin for shoving him. I would have done the same thing. Hmm. Well, yeah, I really wish there was some uh, audio, and I would think that Michael Dredgeka, if he were going to engage in the confrontation, if I ever get engaged in a confrontation uh, or somebody is engaging me, I already have video running and it's streaming over the web so that the evidence can't be destroyed if my phone is destroyed. And, you know, I can uh, have an alibi that um, say whether it's with the police, I've had to tell them before that, uh, you know, you can take away my phone, you can tell me to shut it off, but you can't destroy the evidence because it's already streaming on the web. So, um, yeah, that you know, it gives you a mar margin of confidence. But uh, yeah, I I, I uh, don't know what was said, and I, I just say that you know, life is so precious that uh, on this on this uh, plane of existence, that life should be preserved. If I were Michael Dredgeka, I, I certainly wouldn't have shot him. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, uh, on this plane of existence, that that uh, I want everyone to stay alive because lessons are, are so much harder learned here on this plane and, and the, the opportunity for spiritual advancement is so much greater because of that. But just imagine if events had unfolded the, the way that uh, if uh, Michael Dredge had pulled his fire, his gun, his handgun out and said, hands up uh you just uh shoved me on the ground that's in a that's a uh, a crime and uh you're under citizen's arrest and uh keep your hands where i can see them you know how the news would have reported that the aggressor was stopped by a concealed handgun carry holder you know how uncontroversial that would have that story it, it would have been so. it probably wouldn't have made the news chris <laughs> right done that it probably wouldn't have, right? But you know, Michael Dredgeka, if he was recording it, then uh, you know, since he was the instigator of the confrontation, that he could have made news on a, on his own just by posting it and pointing out this is something that didn't make the news. When you can make the news yourself by posting it online, then it becomes the news. Oftentimes, where otherwise it wouldn't, if you don't have, if you're not a newsmaker, if you don't have the video to prove it, such a dramatic uh, turn of events. Yeah, you, you should tell people about the video services you use that stream to the web, and it's archived there, so even if they destroy your phone, you still have a record. That way, uh, people can uh, do the same thing, man. Yeah, yeah, well, now I can use YouTube Live, but I mean, look, I don't like YouTube. I feel dirty using them, just like uh, <laughs> Facebook. or I don't want to promote their dirty... Uh, behavior dirty tactics and we'll get into that soon later how they're uh, exactly why i feel dirty so you know i don't want to uh, i mean i wouldn't even want to stream the show live on on uh, youtube or facebook just because it's rented space and they could pull the platform out from under me at any time like they have so many like alex jones and so many others in a coordinated effort you know but uh yeah i, I was using bam user they stopped their service um their free service but um um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking into some others. I, I can't say right now uh, what's a, what, which one I prefer, but um, yeah, yeah, 
since you asked me, I'm going to have to pull again. You want me to shift gears into that? Oh, we'll, we'll do that in a little bit. Shift gears into the Facebook and the YouTube censoring and the other platforms like uh, Pinterest and, and um, you know, what they're doing to Alex Jones and the others. So all in coordinated, orchestrated effort. It just, uh, it, sh it shows that, um, um, you know, or, oh yeah, and Apple iTunes and Spotify, uh, you know, Facebook and, uh, and YouTube all on the same day banning Alex Jones shows that it was all orchestrated. Well, it wasn't just because he did something wrong. You, you, can, you can argue about, you know, um, why or why not Alex Jones should be banned from these services, you know, and the, and the merits thereof. But when they're attacking people that are just talking about the situation and banning them too, that becomes pretty, that becomes obviously suspicious, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about yeah, that. But first, did you, did you want to talk any more about the Michael Dredgeka being charged with a manslaughter? Um, you know... I wonder. I wonder what's really going to become of this. I mean, I think the guy should be charged, but I, I think you know, stand your ground. I don't know if it, it just depends on the situation, you know. It, but it seems like they might be trying to attack it to take it down because, you know, Golatari he doesn't like people to take matters into their own hands or to be armed or to be self-sufficient. It's not his thing, you know. Yeah, you're telling me about James McLennis for sheriff, running for sheriff once again, and I've been checking out yeah. his Facebook posts, and um, unfortunately, I can't find that he has a website, so otherwise I'd give it. Uh, I'd love to invite him and Galtieri on to talk about this and other things, but uh, just on short notice with this, uh, I haven't had the chance to with it, you know, this, this just uh, this charging of Michael Dredgeka yesterday, I haven't had the uh, I've had too many other things going on, and it'd be probably be too short a notice for either of them anyway. But uh, tell, what do you think of James McLennis? I, I haven't had much opportunity to see what he's all about. Well, he um, he's got kind of a an interesting story. He did run against Galtieri uh, Gal um, in 2016, but he's got he's got some issues with Galtieri because of how him and uh, his ex how he was treated in dealing with his ex-wife. Uh, pardon me, just back up a moment. You, you're cutting out. You're saying that he was running for sheriff, and, and did you say some year? Yeah, he was running for sheriff in 2016. He's going to run again right. in 2020. And All right. uh, he, he points up a lot of issues with Galtieri as a sheriff, how he covers for his deputies, even though they commit horrendous crimes yeah. and... They don't save people that are drowning in cars, you know, regardless of whether they did good or bad. You know, I mean, it just goes on and on. And, and I've got my issues with Galtieri as, as well, which I won't go into right now. But um, the, the guy, he wants to, it seems like he wants to work for the people of uh, Pinellas County. And uh, I'm liking what he says. And he, he raises some pretty good questions about this Dredgeka case. You know, what's really going on here? Who Does um, Goltieri know Dredgeka? Is, you know, what what is the issue yeah. here? There's more going on than meets the eye, as typical 
um, whether it's Washington politics or even local, but, but local is where we got to focus, you know, and, and this is what's going on right here, right now. Yeah, James McLinnis does have a lot of uh, inside knowledge, it seems, and from experience. The I, mean, I really need to review it more myself, and Galtieri ought to have a opportunity to respond to a lot of this. Of course, he does on Facebook, but... Um, that you know, would be good to get him on, because I got my issues with Galtieri, and I would like to ask him a few questions, too. Uh, most mm -hmm. most uh, specifically about the professionalism of his uh, correctional officers. Yeah. Well, it seems like uh, oh, they all have the, all the all the departments, not just Pinellas County Sheriff, but all of the police departments in Pinellas. I've had issues with being a Pinellas resident, and I can't um, speak much of police forces outside of Pinellas, but you know. Uh, well, on my activism blog on the website, I cover how to uh, how I've dealt with it. Like I mentioned earlier, with a video and a streaming live and the public servants questionnaire that you can offer them. You can when they ask you to identify yourself for no good reason, which happens to me every couple of years. It seems as I'm riding along on my bicycle, they say I uh, come up with a false pretext, like uh, oh, you look like someone we're looking for. Um, <laughs> but the, this public servants questionnaire asks them, well, what's your probable cause, what's your reasonable articulable suspicion, what's your supervisor's name, um, and it just has about 25 questions, and they're required according to, uh, I think it was Ninth, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision that says they are required to answer all the questions before you're required to answer anything, so you know, I, I point out to them, I'm not going to answer, this is going to be in the public record, right? Yes, they admit that it is. And I, okay, so I'm a private person. I don't want anybody to know my uh, travel patterns. I don't want them to know anything about me. I, I don't want uh, to be in the public record, so I'm not going to identify myself. I don't talk to police unless they have some reason to talk to me. You know, one time um, about three years ago, I said, oh, come on, show me the picture of the guy you're looking for. They showed me, they led me over, they trusted me enough to lead me over to the side of their squad car and look on their computer screen. I said, come on, that guy doesn't look anything like me, and let me talk to your supervisor. Supervisor comes out and gives me a hard time. And, Jesus, you know, you're I, kidding me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I thought I told you about that. went <laughs> that far? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, well... And then I point out, look, you know, I'm on your side. I'm, I'm I know. Uh, what's like, that? Come on, guys. This is ridiculous. <laughs> You're spinning yeah. your wheels. What are they doing? And I, yeah, yeah, I ended up saying, well, we're not brown shirts. We're not Gestapo. I said, I never you said, said that, that you're Gestapo. You? Jesus. Yeah. Sure I never are. used that word. That. You did. <laughs> but I bring up also that I'm on your side because... Um, you know, I'm. I, you ought to know if you don't. I think you should know if you don't already that the that uh, all the public servants' pension funds are being looted by Wall Street. Matt uh, Taibbi in in uh, Rolling Stone has reported quite well as others that uh, under 2013 article entitled "Looting the Pension Funds." They deserve those pensions. You know, I mean, that's part of the deal. They should get them, but. Yeah. Boy, that's, that's yes. a pretty sad story. I wish more of them knew that was going on because then they would probably start treating us a lot better. Exactly. I mean, I've had cops that do start treating me. They, they just totally do a 180 after I...
I mean, I'm trying to bring this Wall Street, uh, the, the bankster gangsters to justice and make sure that you have a good future. Yeah. So, and all the public servants have a good future by your attacking your own fellow debt slaves. You're really preventing us from even wanting to help you out here. So, uh, you know, and then they, a lot of times they'll they'll agree. But, uh, you know, one time an officer at Largo PD said, oh, he, this guy over here, he's telling stories. And you know, the other officer just kind of shook his head. But. Yeah. Um, anyway, on the, I want to point out for folks that uh, on uh, at theliberationstation.com, you can check out the activism blog. Just hover your mouse cursor over blogs, and then you'll have a pull-down menu. Activism blog is the first one because it's in alphabetical order. Activism blog will bring you to the public servants questionnaire and some of these other uh, points you can make. Uh, you can give them a notice. I bring around with me this public servants questionnaire along with supporting legal authorities as to why they need to answer it before I answer any of their questions. You need to give me probable cause as to why I might want to answer any of your questions. And uh, also uh, notice uh, violation warning, denial of rights under a color of law. It basically points out the federal law under which they will be sued if they violate my rights acting under color of law, um, you know, both the federal criminal and civil statutes um, which can be very make it very difficult for them um, of course it'll always end up with uh, you know when when they're in the wrong it'll always end up with them be, uh, settling out of court and the uh, municipality paying the settlement you know the, the cop that's one thing with the to stop police brutality is to make the cop have to pay make it come out of their um, pension fund as well and any any assets that they have for the police brutality that they commit and on that page you'll also see a list of links to a lot of uh, websites that cover murders by police that are documented on video and uh, police brutality and you know other people covering strategies and all these things that you just don't see on the news usually uh, unless it uh, gains enough online attention so I want to draw that uh, activism blog to folks' attention. Just hover your mouse cursor over blogs at theliberationstation.com. So, Frank, do you want to shift gears? Well, I don't know, man. Is your uh, guest ready? Oh, we got another half hour till Russ Tanner of GlobalSkyWatch.com comes on. Okay. Well, let's switch gears real fast. Give out the call-in numbers if you'd like to bring up any news, comment on what we're talking about here. You have until the end of the hour, uh, because then we'll be talking chemtrails, geoengineering, and remedies to detoxify from that and, and other things. Uh, the call-in numbers here are 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000, toll-free 866-826-1340, that's 866-826-1340. And uh, I would ask everyone if you would please uh, donate, uh, haven't received any donations since the show was resurrected four weeks ago, so uh, please uh, donate and uh, keep this information coming out over the broadcast airwaves. I know a lot of this stuff you can find online, but the idea of doing the show is that there is so much banning of this material on the airwaves I've experienced by calling into the airwaves. So that's why I'm starting up the show, calling into local radio shows. And there are fewer and fewer local radio shows 
And uh, even online, as we're going to get into now, talking about the online platforms banning of folks like Alex Jones, you know, they're uh, getting more and more moderated. So uh, please help support the show and uh, help us help you decide what the best information is. And you as well help us decide what to report on and call on in if you'd like to report on anything that you think is very important on any issue. So, um, you know, with the, the decreasing number of local shows available to take my calls and the calls of others is why I restarted the show again. You know, a lot of folks will ask me when I'm speaking to them, oh, where did you get that? Sounds like a fringe conspiracy theory information. Where'd you get that? The internet? And I, and I point out, well, you're right. I, I try to use books all the time because, you know, every time I go online and I look at the dictionaries and the encyclopedias and the thesauruses online, they're all full of disinformation. All the words are misspelled. All the definitions are incorrect. All the history is mixed up. So, yeah, you're right. I should just stick to books. And they look at me like, yeah, <laughs> you're agreeing with me. No, I don't agree with you. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> so. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the orchestrated uh, this past week orchestrated banning of uh, Alex Jones and a few others uh, on Facebook and Apple iTunes and Spotify and YouTube and Pinterest all on the same day. And there are other platforms. Um, I'll start out uh, before I ask you, Frank, what do you think about all that? But uh, there are all these other platforms that people are fleeing to because uh, they've lost a taste for these platforms they're, they're not fun anymore um you yeah. can find other alternatives that are less moderated on the links page at wearechangetampa.org or you just go to theliberationstation.com and click on links and it'll connect you to the links page at wearechangetampa.org and right up there at the top our list of uh, about 15 social networks and social media sites and uh search engines that are less moderated than Google because you know, you find a lot of very popular search results on these other search pages that you won't find on Google. You'd think that if they're so popular, uh, these search results are so popular that you'd find them on Google, but you don't when you compare them to these other search engines. So uh, yeah, I'll, I can list those off later on, but um, for the time being, they're all concentrated on the links page at wearechangetampa.org right up at the top. And some alternative radio streams are right up there, too, and video streams as well. But uh, what do you have to say about this orchestrated takedown of uh, Alex Jones and others? Well, um, I guess it seems like there's a, a purge going on. But um, like a lot of people say, uh, even bad publicity is good publicity. So um, the parties involved... Um, they might be able to, you know, spin straw into gold, like Rumpelstiltskin. I guess so, so but their market share shows it sure shows that they're not really having the desired effect. I guess uh, you know, Facebook goes about two months ago saw the story they're losing 50 million user hours per week, and now their market share is taking a dive. So I say, let's continue the trend. Isn't the InfoWars app like um, number one in news and closely approaching number one overall as of right now? Yeah, on the Apple Store, that's what I heard. 
So, uh, you know, they're in and uh, Alex's websites are really gaining in publicity. I mean, I got to say to start off that there are a lot of things that I don't agree with Alex anymore in these last couple of years, but I don't want to see him banned because that means they can, and they have been banning other people um, for no good reason. But uh, yeah. Didn't even Noam Chomsky come out and saying that this was a dangerous precedent? Yeah, yeah, he did. He also yeah, saying that uh, he said he didn't agree Israel with Alex, and that's that's fine. But he says this is setting a dangerous precedent, and this is like you know, like a grandmaster on the on the left, you know, and he, even he's saying it. Right. He's also saying uh, about a week ago that uh you know israel's spying on us actually that's something uh, another report um i'm thinking of uh, newsweek from 2013 saying israel is the country that spies on us the most but noam chomsky about a week ago said that israel's interference with our elections far overshadows anything that russia could be doing so i don't know on what he bases that if anybody wants to interfere they can cover their tracks you know, hide their origin from the hacking. <laughs> anyway, I wonder, yeah. I wonder what some of my progressive friends would say to that statement. <laughs> well, he's getting old. We love him still, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's gone off the deep end now. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's the, this band in Boston effect, or the Streisand effect, or the Tarkin effect from Star Star Wars. Grand Moff Tarkin, tight. Princess Leia told him, "The tighter you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers." It's like uh, you know, or Barbara Streisand didn't want her her photo on the of her mansion on her on the internet, and everybody sa- says, "Well, what's the big deal of what's not supposed to be discussed in polite?" conversation well i'm going to go to his website and look at it now so that's why apparently according to uh, alexa.com who knows if these uh, statistics are rigged but according to these statistics there's in the apple itunes his popular alex's popularity has shot way up ever since his uh being uh, banned on these platforms well there you go uh exhibit a you know uh yeah. What, what did Buckminster Fuller say? You don't win by fighting against what you're against. Uh, you, you win by, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. You win by building something new, you know, something that, that beats what existed before. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're afraid of. And they're, it's as if uh, they've been telling me, a lot of folks have been t- saying about Alex that, Oh, you're just being paranoid. You're a nut job to think the establishment wants to silence you. So we're going to have to silence you. <laughs> yeah. he just, they just proved his point. <laughs> or they give it's credibility to things. I don't, I don't think that they should be, they're giving him credibility. And I wish that they wouldn't be banning him because they're giving him credibility on a lot of things that I don't agree with them in these past two years, especially because his show has become, And it's as if he's putting all his all the eggs into one basket when he dedicates his show to that, uh, as if Trump is going to be the strong man or the one to rescue the whole enchilada. You know, as if if we lose yeah. Trump as president, which Alex has expressed that uh, he could be uh, taken out 
uh, his uh, character assassinated, then um, you know him as a prelude to being physically assassinated. Well, then we lose the whole country. Well, I wish Alex would go back to talking about local and statewide issues and local and statewide success stories, like in 2012 when I'm honored that he had me on to talk about the Pinellas County ending water fluoridation, which I was so happy to uh, be instrumental yep. in along with so many other hundreds of concerned citizens. But this as a means for others to help achieve these successes, to sustain them, and to teach others elsewhere how to make good history instead of uh, talking about Trump almost all the time. So Alex yeah. is talking about you know, Trump all the time, but now his website's getting all this traffic apparently, which is a good thing because all the good stuff is on, are on his websites, whereas he's he ignores all the good on his radio show. He ignores all the good stuff. That's I mean I'm just shocked that he doesn't cover all the good stuff on that's on that is on his websites. He has these dozens of reporters working for him and and news crew, and they're traveling around the country. And you know I I enjoy listening to his show when he has a guest host on. You know I prefer listening to them than I do him these days. These past couple of years. But, uh, you know, and he's kind of flipped the script a bit, too, talking about, uh, you know, republicanism and, and uh, getting into the culture war and, um, you know, talking about uh, trusting the Republicans and bad-mouthing the Democrats, where he used to not do that. He used to be transpartisan, metapartisan, uh, suprapartisan, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> outside well, of the partisanship. The left-right paradigm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, his site, his sites are really gaining popularity, and I'm I can't doubt that. I, that's to be expected when you you ban the guy. But uh, you know, you have uh, you have newspapers drying up, and and uh, TV stations and radio stations losing their market share now because they're not telling the truth. Folks are online and they're saying, this is a waste of time. I'm going to cancel my cable and my satellite TV. I'm not going to fund this stuff. Now, a lot of the newspapers are subscription only, like the New York Times. You can only read a small part of the article for free. And uh, you know <laughs> they're expecting you to pay them for their propaganda, whether it's in print yeah. or online. And local radio shows, uh, or uh, t I mean, uh, TV stations who have a 24-hour transmitter time to reach out to the public, they're more and more reaching out through Facebook Live so that they can get feedback from folks. Because if they don't, if they don't get feedback, whether it's on their own website or on Facebook Live or some of these other social networks, well, then they're going to dry up too because the folks know that if they're not going to be listened to, they're going to just tune out. If you don't listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. Well, there you go. Yeah. So just tell the truth. Don't try to ban others who are telling the truth. And I find Alex has been telling the truth a lot more than the mainstream slave stream, uh, major corporation owned media. But, um, you know, to ban Alex or others is, is it's like, you just enjoy yourself, hearing yourself, and that's the sign of a bore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. Well, there's that, and then there's um, the algae blooms that are going on. And 
the mosaic connection to them and their funding of uh, Moat Marine Laboratory mm. to a large degree, apparently, uh, to uh, kind of hide up the fact that it's uh, their production of uh, phosphate that's one of the key components of this um, fertilizer runoff that's causing all these algae blooms to be super huge and last throughout the winter. But no one ever wants to talk yeah. about that. Yeah, it seems that way from what I've, a little I've tuned into the new local newscasts or Facebook live uh, broadcasts. And I was watching uh, Channel 10 just a little while ago, uh, a couple of days ago you know, on Facebook live. And uh, they had a couple of reporters on. They were just uh, trying to say that all they would uh, point out is that, uh, oh, it's the people's, it's the runoff from the people. Um, they're using too much fertilizer around Lake Okeechobee. The issue, just in a nutshell, according to most of the activists, and um, anyone is welcome to call in and, and uh, add to the conversation. Uh, and uh, my, my limited understanding. You can reach us here, 727-441-3000, or 866-826-1340. That's 866-TAN-1340. The major deal is that they want to stop the dike uh, that's diverting water out to the east coast and the west coast of Florida, where all the algae blooms and bacterial blooms are are uh, really striking hard the the marine life killing everything and killing people too they they're inhaling it there have been plenty of human deaths and uh you know the fishermen the tourism are all going away uh their health is suffering their economic the ecologic the personal health is suffering but um the uh the dike that's uh surrounding lake okeechobee is forcing the water out to the the uh, east coast and the west coast of Florida, where we have all this damage, all this death and destruction. But um, most activists say that they wanted to they want to send the water south, where historically, naturally, it has gone into the Everglades, and uh, and also do something to remediate it. Um, you know, we brought up in the last two shows. Um, it's called uh, Lake pardon me, uh, Solitude Lake Management and their uh, ozonation technology that can clean up bodies of water that are either uh, lakes, ponds, or uh, small inlets if they're not enclosed. So um, they showed dramatically how they can uh, clean up the algae blooms. And, and uh, on my last show, I brought up possible drawbacks to that. So um, you can tune in for, to check out the archives about that. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, the red tide expert Moat, M-O-T, is uh, covering for Mosaic Phosphate Mining Company, who owns or who manages uh, 6,000 acres of orange groves to the north of Lake Okeechobee. And there is a correlation between the phosphate discharges from Mosaic's mining in uh, a, a graph that a friend, uh, Chris Pittman, sent me, and he's been doing a lot of posting on these different Facebook groups, uh, the correlation he shows between um, on uh, Fort DeSoto, uh, pardon me, DeSoto County's uh, own website, the correlation between the phosphate discharges and the rise in red tide. There is a correlation there. So, um, 
before I, I want to read the, since you brought it up, uh, Frank, uh, this article uh, from Green Med Info, do you have, before I read this quick article, do you have uh, more comments? Uh, no, go ahead and uh, launch into your uh, article there, uh, because that's what I was going to talk about next. All right. Well, this is, uh, the article is from greenmedinfo.com by Sayerji, who runs the site, dated August 4th, 2018, entitled Ties Between Quote-Unquote Red Tide Expert Moat, M-O-T-E, and Florida Polluter Mosaic Raises Red Flags. Why is one of Florida's worst polluters sponsoring one of the state's most powerful and prominent environmental organizations? Moat Marine Labs, based in Sarasota, Florida, is a nonprofit environmental advocacy organization. While poisoning the, pardon me, while positioning themselves as guardians of the sea and all living things that depend on it, quote unquote, their experts uniformly express skepticism about the role of land and pollution-based factors in the worsening red tide, one of Florida's most persistent environmental disasters affecting sea life. While they acknowledge nutrients play a role, they consider it a minimal one, which is why they consistently describe red tide as a quote-unquote natural phenomenon. Moat's position is that because red tide blooms are believed to originate 10 to 40 miles offshore, away from the direct influence of land-based nutrient pollution, as well as deliberate dumps of Lake Okeechobee water by the Army Corps of Engineers, Human activities should play a minimal, if negligible, role in the worsening outbreaks. But the most accurate and recent research, which in this article there is a link to, reveals that once moved inshore, blooms use both human-controlled and natural nutrients for growth, rendering the question of where it originates of far lesser, strictly academic importance. Red tide, like a flame, won't grow or be sustained without fuel. The fuel is coming en masse from the land and from Lake Okeechobee, both domains under human control and therefore far from quote-unquote natural. Indeed, data collected along the southwest coast of Florida between Tampa Bay and Sanibel Island on the abundance of the red tide from 1954 to 2002 were examined for spatial and temporal patterns, meaning space and time patterns. Red tide was found to be an approximately 20-fold more abundant within 0 to 5 kilometers of the shoreline than 20 to 30 kilometers offshore. Mm. Despite this compelling evidence, Moat, and uh, just real quick, it crossed my mind that uh, I forgot, we forgot to mention that Moat is uh, a list on their own website that Mosaic is one of their sponsors. So, of course, they're going to vindicate Mosaic, and uh, then the state is going to take that as gospel. I mean, come on. All right. Well, continuing this article, uh, despite this compelling evidence, Moat believe the science is too complex and far from settled on the topic. This is why they are focused on the need for more research as well as more funding for that research. Moat has already received more than $5.5 million in state funding for red tide research and appears slated to receive more soon thanks to their friendly relationship with Rick Scott. There's a link to the um, flgov.com reference. 
Moat's fundraising efforts are not focused exclusively on research. At present, Moat is trying to raise 100 110,000 square foot aquarium, which they estimate will require $280 million of direct and indirect expenditures to complete. Moat has received millions of dollars over the years from government grants, public donations, and corporate sponsorships. And there's a link to the full list on this article. One of their sponsors is the Mosaic Corporation, who is one of Florida's worst and most heavily fine polluters and listed as a, quote, corporate benefactor, end quote, on their website. Mosaic's financial contributions to Moat include a $125,000 grant for their Snook Enhancement Program. The exact details and amounts of Mosaic's other contributions are not known, but according to Moat's spokesperson, Mosaic has supported their educational programs, including their, quote, digital learning studio, end quote, quote, events mem membership programs, end quote, and, quote, Moat's annual fundraising 5K and one-mile race event, run for the turtles, end quote. A Moat spokesperson stated that they believe this is not a conflict of interest because, quote, Mosaic currently provides no direct funding or in-kind support to Moat research programs, end quote. We disagree that this is not a conflict of interest. This is a significant level of support coming from a strip mining company whose manufacturing plants produce the kind of phosphorus-rich fertilizers that lead to algal growth, both in Lake Okeechobee Green and, we believe, the Gulf of Mexico, and whose phosphogypsum stacks of radioactive material-laden waste products pile up throughout Florida to the tune of about 1 billion tons stacked in 25 locations in Florida, 22 of which are in central Florida. And let's see if, yes, we have the time to finish up this article here. An Earth and Justice article describes the environmental consequences of the Mosaic Company's activities in Florida. Quote, Minnesota-based Mosaic Phosphate scrapes off Florida's surface land to get down to the bones of ancient sea creatures which contain phosphate. The mining leaves behind a moonscape with scars that are visible from space. The phosphate from these ancient sea sediments is then chemically processed into phosphoric acid used in fertilizer and sold around the world. The process leaves behind massive mountains of radioactive acidic waste that can tower 50 to 70 feet high. Some two dozen of these mounds are scattered around South Central Florida, posing a huge environmental risk, end quote. Mosaic also manages about 6,000 acres of citrus groves north of Lake Okeechobee in Polk and Hardy counties, all of which eventually end up bleeding nutrients into Lake Okeechobee southward and from there into the Gulf of Mexico. Mosaic has gained great notoriety for having been ordered by the EPA to pay billions of dollars by the EPA for recklessly polluting Florida and Louisiana's environment with a radioactive byproduct of phosphorus mining operations. They were also recently found to have let millions of gallons of radioactive waste contaminated water seep deep into Florida's drinking water aquifer. 
Mosaic sponsorship of Moat and Moat's willingness to accept it, despite the obvious conflict of interest, raises red flags when one considers they consistently minimize the role of land-based activities on increasing the Florida red tide frequency and severity. Moat's stance on this issue has been used by other industries in the state of Florida whose activities are known to contribute to the problem, namely U.S. sugar. Quote, the fact on red tide. In media reports, some act activists have attempted to link the water from U.S. sugar's farms to red tide blooms off the coast of, Gulf coast of the Gulf Coast. The science simply does not support this. Here is what Moat Marine Laboratory, the leading expert on Florida red tide, has to say about what causes red tide. Quote, in contrast to the many red tide species that are fueled by nutrient pollution associated with the urban or agricultural runoff, there is no direct link between nutrient pollution and the frequency or severity of red tides caused by K. brevis. That's the algae, K. brevis. Florida red tides develop 10 to 40 miles offshore away from the man-made nutrient sources. Red tides occurred in Florida long before human settlement and severe red tides were observed in the mid-1900s before the state's coastlines were heavily developed. However, once red tides are transported inshore, they are capable of using man-made nutrients for their growth. And that is a source from Marine Laboratory, Florida Red Tide FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions. Continuing, similarly, Florida's Fish and Wildlife Commission, tasked with monitoring and informing the public about the red tide problem, parrots verbatim moats perspective in their Frequently Asked Questions section. Quote, has coastal, parentheses, nutrient, pollution caused the Florida red tide? In contrast to the many red tide species that are fueled by nutrient pollution associated with the urban or agricultural runoff, there is no direct link between nutrient pollution and the frequency or severity of red tides caused by K. brevis. Florida red tides develop 20 to 40, 10 to 40 miles offshore away from the man-made nutrient sources. Red tides occurred in Florida long before human settlement and severe red tides were observed in the mid 1900s before the state's coastline were heavily developed. However, once red tides are transported inshore, they are capable of using man-made nutrients for their growth. So uh, there we go. Um, my my add my uh, commentary is that uh, Florida Wild Fish and Wildlife Commission is committing plagiary. They don't have any original material to add on the subject. <laughs> Just to finish this uh, very end of the article here, hopefully before the end of the hour, it should also be noted that in the past, moat scientists have also attempted to minimize the true harms associated with the public's exposure to red tide. During the last major outbreak, outbreak in 2013, ABC7 interviewed Moat Marine Laboratory senior scientist Dr. Barbara, Kirk, Barbara Kirkpatrick on February 27th about whether there are any long-term effects of red tide on humans, to which she responded, quote, I don't think there's any evidence yet that we have to worry about long-term exposure, end quote. This is diametrically opposed to the peer-reviewed published science on the topic, which I cite in depth in my article, The Truth About Red Tide's Man-Made Causes and Health Effects. Call to action. We call on Moat Marine to separate itself from its conflict of interest with Mosaic. 
Well, we'll continue this on the other side of the hour, and then we'll welcome Russ Tanner of Chemtrails of GlobalSkyWatch.com to talk on chemtrails and geoengineering remediation and how we can help ourselves. You're listening to the Liberation Station radio show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM. back to the second hour of Liberation Station Radio Show, the August 14th, 2018 edition. That song by Rush is called Vapor Trails. It's uh, quite appropriate. It came out on their 2002 album entitled Vapor Trails. And uh, it seems rather um, descriptive of chemtrails and uh, what they, how they kill life and uh, toxify the environment we'll be getting to that in just a moment here with guest russ tanner of globalskywatch.com just wanted to finish up here first the article from the last hour and uh, point out i'm sorry frank couldn't join us he uh, had to go but um didn't have anything else to add on this issue we've been long time um observers and uh local outspoken uh, activists on the mosaic issue when it comes to water fluoridation. Frank and I have um, because the fluoride that's added to our water supplies, our municipal water supplies is from uh, either mosaic phosphate mining company or one of their subsidiaries. In this case, uh, at this time in Pinellas County, it's China. And um, we ended water fluoridation in 2011, but they reintroduced it in 2013. Once they got the two new county commissioners, they got the votes of Charlie Justice and Janet Long. 
they brought it to a vote despite an overwhelming supermajority against it. Uh, I have to do a count again. I think it was about 200 to about uh, 200 to oppose water fluoridation to about 20. Um, it's been so long in 2013 that happened, uh, but I have to do an exact count and get back to you. It's another show uh, topic, but um, there were 65 emails opposing water fluoridation to five. It was the biggest county commission uh, meeting I've ever seen. The the room was who were being kept uh, in, in areas uh, in an area to to watch the commission meeting on chairs, and they would be escorted up as an old group was escorted down the elevators the new group would come up the elevators to speak and it was a, just an amazing outpouring of opposition to water fluoridation and i think largely it was because of fortunately local radio station 970 wfla 970 am uh dennis pavlik was a reporter on this he on the day of the uh, well, let me back up. The, the day before the vote in 2013, he had uh, called me up, did a phone interview, and on the day of the vote, every half hour there were uh, on the news breaks, there was an announcement that today Pinellas County is holding a vote on water fluoridation. And Chris Steiner with We Are Change Tampa is opposing it. And then they played an excerpt of that phone interview, and he did a very fair job. So I credit. 970 a.m. WFLA with uh, do with uh, the, such an outcome uh, or outpouring of opposition, and it just shows what you can do if you're an activist. You just get in touch with your local media and uh, let them pick up the ball. If you are a newsmaker, well, then they have to follow your lead sometimes. And there are other uh, stations. I would like to thank uh, Channel 13 here, WTVT, I believe. I'm ashamed. I feel embarrassed. I don't remember, but um, they've uh, also uh, sent out news crews to these uh, county commission meetings on the days that they've held the vote on water fluoridation. So um, anyhow, uh, Mosaic Phosphate Mining Company, you'll be hearing more about from myself and Frank in the future and um, all the implications, uh, how they destroy our environment, toxify our environment, the, the uh, water fluoride, the fluoride is added in uh, the industrial discharge that's added in the name of fluoridation. It's industrial discharge. It's not isolated. It's not pharmaceutical grade, which would be stannous or sodium fluoride. As you can see on the annual water quality analysis that it is quote, discharge from aluminum and fertilizer factories, end quote. So, uh, yeah, once fluoride was ended in 2011 in Pinellas County, and uh, it was had been bought from Mosaic up until that point when they reintroduced it in 2013, it now comes from China to one of Mosaic's uh, subsidiaries in order to save $70,000 per year. So you might say it's the finest industrial waste money can buy. Anyhow, um, yeah, so you can get the material safe to data sheet showing that it's mixed with lead and cadmium and mercury, and it is not isolated. It is the most toxic form of fluoride as well as all these other contaminants, heavy metals and radioactive isotopes. The most toxic form is fluorosilicates, also known as silicofluorides, and uh, then uh, the next most toxic is pharmaceutical grade, which is sodium or stannous fluoride. The least toxic 
is the only naturally occurring form, which is calcium fluoride. So that's just a little bit of uh, biological history. Now, just to finish up the article, I got on a rant there. The article from last hour, really quick here, is a call to action. We call on Moat Marine to separate itself from its conflict of interest with Mosaic and other corporate polluters and address formally the research which proves the cause of the worsening frequency and intensity of red tide blooms are directly related to human land-based activities and the government's water management policies. We also call on them to update their red tide frequently asked questions which deny the aforementioned science. Whether it means stopping sewage spills, stopping septic tank leaks, and stopping Lake Okeechobee discharges, the science proves that if we want to have healthy beaches, we must admit the obvious causes and help to stop the pollution now. Visit Moat's Facebook page to express your concern. Sign this petition and join the South Florida Clean Water Movement. Now that's the end of the article. Uh, that's at greenmedinfo.com and soon to be at theliberationstation.com entitled Ties Between Red Tide Expert Moat and Florida Polluter Mosaic Raises Red Flags, dated August 4th, 2018 by Sayer G. Now we welcome to the airwaves Russ Tanner of globalskywatch.com to talk about chemtrails and geoengineering, uh, scientifically termed, and what you can do about them to, number one, stop them, number two, to uh, help uh, clean up your system, to give us a little bit of a hope, a little bit of hope. So maybe we could start a little bit uh, in reverse order, give the good news first and not panic folks to show that there is something that we can do immediately and long-term. So fo uh, folks, uh, I'd like you to welcome to the airwaves, Russ Tanner. Are you there, Russ? I am here. I am here. Good Great. to be with you. Coming in loud and clear. Well, thank you for all your hard work. Oh, I'm, I'm honored to be uh, someone who's trying to sound the alarm on this issue, which I consider the largest possibly in history. Very big. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's way up there with the, uh, well, I don't know, I shouldn't even start to try to compare it to these other issues because it's like we're living in a gas chamber, all the other things we can do something about, even though uh, it's it's a little something with, um, you know, I just don't know what we can do to stop our exposure. I know that we're being used as human filters, as in some of the other cases, like we just mentioned, like uh, we were talking about with water fluoridation and the environment. Uh, but how do we clean our filter? How do we uh, detoxify, purify, cleanse our filter, our human filters? Well, there's a lot of things we can do. And, uh, you know, the first key is to know what we're being, uh, uh, what we're trying to detox. If you're trying to detox something, the most valuable information is what uh, poison are you dealing with that you want to um, that you want to remove from your body. So what we do know that we're getting um, exposed to in chemtrails, uh, some of the most common things would be aluminum, barium, strontium, arsenic, mercury, lead, 
mycoplasma, mold spores, to name a few. The reason why there are so many is because uh, uh, geophysicist Marvin Herndon actually wrote an article exposing the medical, not the medical, the metal uh, ratios between the metals that are being found in rainwater and in sample, samples of uh, chemtrail residue match that of coal fly ash. And that includes uh, some real toxic and nasty uh, metals. So if we're dealing with uh, different uh, metals, we want to deal with different modalities to get rid of them. So a few things that I would throw out there is one of the most uh, well-known in chemtrails, and we're finding very high levels of aluminum in rainwater across the United States and Europe. Um, even in my own backyard, I live in rural Maine, and uh, we have 300 micrograms per liter of aluminum in our rainwater. Last time I checked, that's six times higher than the maximum allowed by the EPA, or at least considered safe. It's called the secondary maximum contaminant level. Um, so uh, that's a lot of aluminum. So malic acid is one of the things that we can use to remove aluminum from our bodies. Malic acid is a supplement that's freely available. Um, so uh, not free, but it's uh, easily available at your health food store. You can also use silica. So some people are drinking high silica waters or taking an herb like horsetail to remove aluminum. Um, so that's how we could deal with aluminum. Um, other yeah, let me, let me just stop here, hold that thought real fast, because um, those are things that I do, uh, that I take myself as part of my regimen, malic acid mixed with uh, L-citrulline in a formula. And uh, I've heard that's that's been helpful for others to alleviate their problems like Morgellons disease. And um, uh, I like that uh, the malic acid is, is mixed with the L-citrulline because uh, L-citrulline will dilate the blood vessels and, uh, by boosting nitric oxide production, like other items can do, other foods can do too. And uh, so anything you can do to increase your circulation and oxygenation will complement any other item that you're taking um, at the same time. Um, now, when it comes to um, silica, uh, my, my preferred source uh, I'm getting uh, from a food-grade diatomaceous earth. And uh, I learned about that, um, well, gosh, about 14 or 15 years ago <clears throat> from a naturopathic doctor, Gwen Scott. She said that uh, of all the things that Morgellons disease sufferers uh, find helps them. And uh, just to point out that sufferers of Morgellons disease experience their symptoms flame up, flare up with a heavier chemtrail spraying, that uh, food-grade diatomaceous earth is the best thing that she's found, a, a tablespoon on an empty stomach once or twice a day. So uh, that's something I like to do to start out the day. Um, there is a drawback with it, though, that it also kills the beneficial flora. Uh, by mechanical means, uh, slicing and dicing them up, not uh, chemical means, but um, mechanically. So you want to supplement separately with uh, probiotics and prebiotics to keep your, your uh, good bacteria flourishing. And uh, when it comes to horsetail, I'm not, um, I'm a little concerned about, uh, there, there's potential toxicity with some varieties of it with long-term use. So it's, it seems like whatever you you're taking it's might have some kind of a drawback to it but it's certainly preferable to what you would otherwise suffer if you didn't take you know, take them uh, take these things that we that i just mentioned but um yeah these uh the uh, horsetail uh, 
uh, horsetail extract. Uh, well, I'll just get back to you. There's an article I, I found on on the drawbacks potentially of that. And the um, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the uh, silica-rich waters. Uh, Dr. Chris Exley has done some research on that as well. That uh, that's helped um, folks to draw out the aluminum that they have been exposed to from various sources, including chemtrails. So anyway, um, what do you have to add, or where did you leave off? Um, yeah, well, just uh, I was uh, looking at the next thing, barium. Um, I did have a heart attack in 2011, and uh, first time I ever rode in an ambulance, except that my potassium levels were through the floor. And what people need to realize, we all know, or most of us know people who've had heart attacks, and it seems like more and more people are having them. And what the public needs to know is that uh, barium is actually used in laboratory animal testing to artificially induce heart attacks in animals. And it acts the same way in humans. When you have barium exposure, your potassium levels can drop dramatically and very quickly. And when your potassium levels drop, you can begin to have heart fibrillation and you can... ...happened to me. So um, when you're dealing with barium, uh, the two most effective things that I've found are potassium itself. Um, plus, you generally want to supplement with potassium anyway because we're being uh, exposed to so much. Uh, barium, we want to keep our potassium levels uh, good and healthy. Um, but potassium can also pull the barium out. The other thing is algin. Algin is a uh, extract. It's a, a polysaccharide, non-digestible polysaccharide uh, from brown algae. Make sure your algae comes from a really safe place. Um, I personally recommend Nature Sunshine products, which actually um, all or most of their products actually conform to, to California code. Their, al their algin uh, seaweed harvesting is, I believe, Nova Scotia, if I remember correctly. Very, very clean waters, and it's tested very thoroughly. Um, and what it does is it, in your digestive system, it will help pull out as your body dumps barium instead of reabsorbing the barium it'll help absorb it and carry it out of your body algin incidentally is really good also for detoxing mercury and uh, uranium and other radio radioactive metals so algin is a really really interesting supplement in fact it's one of the only supplements i know that was uh, actually taken off the market by the largest uh, herb company in north america and then brought back by popular demand so algin very interesting. So that's barium. Anything you want to add about that, or? Oh well, um, yeah. The the levels of contamination. Um, I've heard uh, certain um, healthcare practitioners, uh, uh, physicians of, of various types, say that whenever they run a equal toxicity test, and they do them all all these different tests in order to determine. Um, like blood will they, is a better indicator of uh, your current levels, but uh, the others, the other like um, hair, nail, urine, fecal can show your abilities, able ability to uh, your body's ability to excrete. So you might be impaired because you don't have enough nutrients, or um, you're just so darn toxic. But uh, I've heard uh, that uh, from these various practitioners, uh, various physicians, that everyone's contained, 
percent of everyone's contaminated from their experience. Ninety nine percent of everyone who's who's been tested, except for the one percent of or the everyone is way over their, their limits on most of these things that you're mentioning, except for the people who do things like your the the uh, de detoxification items like you're mentioning and uh, our wheatgrass juice is, is another one that they tell me that oh, the one percent or you know many of them are wheatgrass juice drinkers. I like to munch on it myself and juice it by chewing on it, but um, that's that's another uh, thing that you can just do at home. You can grow uh, very inexpensively. You don't have to buy it where it's it's so pricey at the health stores. So uh, yeah, you know, I want to point out that uh, you just emphasize all these things. Folks might think, well, uranium. I don't have uranium. Yeah, you do have. Have you been tested? You, know, you have to ask them. You know, well, why are you afraid of being tested? You you know, then you can know what to do about it. Or if you're not going to test yourself, well, just start with a solution. Start with these these things to detox, and then be tested when you know that you're feeling better or you're less likely to have low levels of these contaminants in your body. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I see a lot of tests because I run some very busy groups on Facebook and I see people toast, posting uh, blood tests and other types of personal tests that they've had done. And people would be shocked at what's in their bodies right now. And that's part of a goldmine of information to help the public understand that we are being sprayed. That's a, It's a controversial subject because mainstream media is trying to propagandize the public and convince the public that, oh, these jet trails have been around forever, which is an absolute bold-faced lie. I'm 54, uh, 53 years old. I've watched the sky all my life, and I know that they have not been around that long. I remember the day I first saw them appear in the sky. I've watched the sky since I was a child, and I collected pictures. So, And when um, was that? When was what? The first time? The very first yeah. time I saw them was in um, 2003. I was in uh, I was in uh, Yosemite Park on the way back from a from an herb convention, actually, from a uh, a convention in California. And I stopped at Yosemite, spent a day or two just to see it because I'd never seen it before, and was taking a look at El Capitan. And I saw these all these lines in the sky, and I'm like, uh, I was with my uh, good friend and business partner, and I was just like. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, except at an air show, you know, but like, was there an air show over here earlier? What, what are all these lines in the sky? And incidentally, that evening, I actually got very sick that in 2003. So that was the very first time I saw them. And then I didn't see them. I went back home. I was in Jamestown, New York. And then the, the first time I saw them was in 2005. Again, they started leaving them over our town. And the funny thing about Jamestown is it has a small airport that cannot handle normal sized jets. It can only handle small jets. And uh, all of a sudden we started seeing these large jets flying at very low altitudes, leaving trails. And 30 minutes after the first time I saw this happen, I could taste the metal in the air. My sinuses burned, my joints and muscles began aching and I got a nasty headache. And because I could taste and smell it, that's common sense firsthand observation that there's something in the air because people don't smell or taste things that are not in the air. So I immediately knew that there was something very strange going on that suddenly these very large jets were appearing in the sky flying very low in an area where you never see jets flying low ever because there are no uh, because the airport can't handle those jets and they're all leaving trails to the point where they were whiting out the sky to a complete overcast condition day after day after day. 
So that's the second time I saw them. And once they started in Jamestown, they never stopped. And I ended up moving away from that area because the spraying was so bad, it was making me very sick. So um, that was those were my first two events where I actually experienced it. Well, around the mid-1990s is uh, when my family and I first noticed them. And, and uh, friends of mine as well. And then we said, uh, well, gee, what are they spraying us with? Uh, this is not normal. And that's what I want the audience to understand is that this isn't normal, especially the younger generations. These are chemtrails. We're, I'm 44, and I'm old enough to know the difference. And yeah, I do see photos, old photos of uh, what look like chemtrails, but they're very rare, and they're they look like uh, they're doing a experimentation. So I don't know if you'd like to talk about um, you know chemtrails in history, but I know that. Um, in this area, anyhow, um, being Pinellas County where I grew up, that that's where uh, in the about 93, 94, 95 areas when I first started seeing them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about the history a little bit. I actually grew up in Newport Ritchie, Florida, which is not far from where you are right now, and I'm visiting yeah. Dunedin at this time, so I'm I'm uh, broadcasting with you, and I'm in Dunedin, Florida, uh, spending some time with family here, and still working my job, but. Uh, working remotely but All anyway right. yeah so i grew up thank you oh, oh go thanks. ahead um uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to do the show oh i'm more than honored to be here absolutely i mean i any opportunity i get to tell the truth about this this is uh in my opinion it's one of the it, it's it's possibly the most important issue we've ever faced uh, most widespread it's happening in virtually every country in the world it's a coordinated effort among the nations and uh so my first, I mean, I grew up in Newport Ritchie, and uh, every six weeks or so, I would see um, F, I don't know what they were, F-16s maybe, uh, but they were fighter jets flying in formation over Newport Ritchie, um, not supersonically, but they would be in formation um, because of McDill Air Force Base, which is the south of Tampa. And I've been down, not in McDill, but I've seen the entrance to McDill several times, driven down there, always been intrigued by it. But, um, but so for that reason, there would be uh, some... Uh, some flights that we'd occasionally see over our house. Never saw a trail coming out of those jets. Uh, this is one of the busiest airspaces in the world. We've got Tampa Airport, which is a beautiful, amazing, very busy airport, international airport, along with other airports in this area. So it's hard in Newport Ritchie to look up at the sky without seeing jets. And in all my life of uh, sky watching, I've never seen a trail come out of a jet in that area. I used to collect pictures as a, as a child because I was interested in jets and rockets in space travel, that was just my thing. I loved that technology, and it was fascinating. So I collected thousands of pictures of jets, and not one of those pictures ever had uh, a trail. I never, if I ever saw a trail behind it, ex with the exception of air shows and afterburners. If you, if you're at an air show, they actually add stuff to the fuel that makes those trails, so it makes the action in the sky easier to to uh, to uh, follow. And if a jet fighter has an afterburner on, then sometimes you'll see a trail. In history, you might see a few photos, uh, particularly of prop jets. Um, but even a few uh, jets like the Spey uh, 512 that's used on the British, uh, the BAC uh, 111, uh, those are water injection engines. So it is possible. Now, those are not in production. They're not. They're used on. There's probably 50 jets in service uh, of those uh, BAC 111s, um, maybe 50 in their, I think they're all in Europe right now. 
Um, but even even on the water injection engines, you will rarely uh, rarely see any trails behind them. But you know, it is it is the potential. Same thing with the prop jets. You might see a few old, just a handful of old pictures um, on the internet of these prop jets from World War II that. Uh, that are leaving trails. And once again, this is water injection. They would use this to increase the torque. In fact, many people today have, have experimented for years with injecting water into internal combustion engines uh, to make them more efficient and improve the horsepower output. It's an interesting technology that does work, but with airplanes, it's uh, kind of obsolete because the weight of the water counteracts uh, the uh, power gain that you get with the water. So. It wasn't a technology that lasted that long, but it was good for short takeoffs if you needed that burst of power for a short takeoff and uh, things like that. So anyway, so that's that, that's the history. And, and a lot of those old photographs were used and are still used to try to convince the public that, hey, these trails have been around forever. Well, the public just needs to understand that they haven't, except in those very, very rare cases. And so those 10 photos of prop jets from World War II has been circulating the internet now for, you know, 10 or 12 years uh, by uh, propagandists um, that uh, are trying to convince the world, hey, it's always been this way, but it hasn't. All right. I'll have to uh, catch up with you on, on that because, yeah, I've seen some of those photos too, but uh, I just, you know, I know from experience that I've never seen one in my life until all of a sudden they started showing up in the early mid-90s. Well, um, uh, let me announce the numbers if anyone would like to speak with Russ Tanner of globalskywatch.com. You can reach us here at 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000, free 866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. The website for the show where... The show will be archived soon after is theliberationstation.com. That's theliberationstation.com. I'm your host, Chris Steiner, speaking with Russ Tanner. And I uh, want to just encourage folks that while this is a terrible issue, we can do something to help ourselves <clears throat> and to help our uh, pets and, and others uh, that don't feel like you're helpless to do something because. I see folks uh, have committed suicide from Morgellons disease, and um, you're, you mentioned your heart attack. I mean, that, that's that I'm sure was a, a shock that that would happen so soon after the chemtrail exposure. Um, I I see that uh, the Mayo Clinic and the CDC um, and others uh, news outlets like Slate say that. Morgellons disease is delusional parasitosis. Although the National Institutes of Health does recognize it, and they do have photos of it, what you see are these multiple multicolored strand fibers that come out of people's skin, or sometimes they're just under the skin. You can see the videos. They've been, I, I covered this on the show nine years ago, that you can see the videos even back then of these multicolored strands sticking out, moving around on their own as if they're intelligent or there's some kind of a life form. You know, folks seem to think that uh, these things are being uh, assembled inside our bodies, uh, or, but uh, sometimes people don't see them at all. They just feel 
um, what feels like ants or uh, bugs crawling under their skin or all over their skin. They scratch their skin to such a degree they give themselves rashes, bloody rashes. I don't know if you want to go on with the description of, of Morgellons disease or its symptoms or causes, but uh, it's certainly not delusional parasitosis when people commit suicide from it and it affects their lives so terribly. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, I think what might be helpful to people to hear is that uh, the symptom that is much more widespread in the people that I've spoken to is the symptom that I have. Shortly after the spraying began in Jamestown, the daily spraying to the point where they would white out the sky for, for uh, and that went on for years, and they backed off a couple years later um, because I think they were getting too much exposure, and so they kind of were pulling their efforts back to kind of marginalize exposure. I had one of the symptoms of Morgellons, which was the feeling that you were getting bit by bugs. I remember being at my computer, and I would tell my business partner and other people, I had employees at the time, and I would say, can you guys see any bugs? I feel like I'm getting bit by gnats, or I'm getting bit. There's bugs around here, but I can't see anything. And I would just feel it, and it always coincided with the spraying. I didn't realize that at the, you know, at the very beginning, but I soon realized that when... Uh, this particular type of spray, uh, aerosol, uh, reached ground level and this particular odor appeared, then this phenomenon of feeling like you're getting mosquito bites or some kind of bug bites would start to hit me. And this is one of the symptoms that is actually surprisingly common today. I've met a number of people and heard from a number of people who have the uh, bug biting uh, phenomenon uh, with no bugs present, nothing present. And uh, so for me, I've been able to mitigate that by um, stimulating my immune system uh, and by, uh, you know, doing things that would uh, keep, um, keep from uh, burdening my immune system. And that has worked, uh, that has done a lot for me. But anyway, I, I've been there. A lot of people do suffer from, uh, from that, that uh, weird feeling like you're getting a bit by bugs, but there's nothing that you can see there. So what has worked for you to um, improve your condition? Um, what I do is I take uh, herbal supplements that, and uh, I take a, a combination of herbal supplements uh, that include the following, and this uh, works amazingly well for me. Uh, one, uh, beta-glucan, and beta-glucan is... Uh, Definitely very good for the immune system. In fact, you can go to herb stores and buy it. Uh, colostrum. Colostrum uh, is another supplement that a lot of people use, but it's also very stimulating to the immune system. Cordyceps um, is an edible mushroom, and it is known for stimulating um, immune function as well. Um, they usually use the, the polysaccharides from it. Uh, mataki and reishi mushrooms are also uh, very common in, in health food stores. So this combination is what I have used for years. When they spray that particular type and I start feeling that bug biting sensation, I will take about, uh, I'll take a certain amount of this uh, supplement uh, that contains all of these things and um, I have a noticeable decrease in that sensation. Uh, usually starting maybe within about 20 to 30 minutes, I start seeing a change. So stimulating the immune system has worked really well for me. Great. Yeah, those are all good uh, items for that and and um, items that I take myself. Uh, I did post my daily regimen 
up on uh, the website on uh, and it includes all of those uh, at theliberationstation.com and just hover your mouse cursor over blogs and then uh, the pop down will show daily regimen blog and click on that and I just uh, posted there to help others and see if anyone had any uh, suggestions for items. Now that list is going to be improved or beefed up a bit. Uh, I have to add more. Wanted to post it as fast as I could for folks to gain the benefit, hopefully, um, of these. Uh, call me a compulsive uh, OCD, but uh, <laughs> there are 91 items on the list, and that's not including the uh, other things, uh, a few other things I take separately. <laughs> that that uh, just for detox, especially before bed, when um, I want to help my body with its uh, rest and recovery as I sleep. And I find that I help, really help to um, wake up more refreshed and with more energy. Um, I also take uh, modified citrus, pectin, uh, calcium, bentonite, clay, shilaji. It looks like it's it's spelled uh, shilajit, S-H-I-L-A-J-I-T. Uh, MSM, methyl sulfonyl methane, that's a good source of sulfur. Uh, I also take, a, you, you mentioned potassium and magnesium is another good mineral that's used up when your muscles relax, whereas calcium is used up uh, much uh, to a much greater degree when your muscles contract. So, um, you know, if you have muscle spasms or uh, tension or um, twitching or, um, you know, your, your muscles are you have a knot in your back, for example, you take some magnesium and potassium, that should help out pretty quickly. Um, and magnesium sulfate or Epsom salts is the form that I like to take internally. I don't take a bath in it. I just uh, take the food grade Epsom salt. That's the kind that doesn't have uh, any kind of a, uh, an essential oil in it. That If it says it on the label that uh, you can you take it internally, it recommends the dosage, then that's for internal use, which is just straight Epsom salts, magnesium sulfate. Most folks are uh, deficient in sulfur, which is very important for detoxing. Um, so yeah, those are just a few of the things that I take. Um, and, uh, this being a radio show, I wanted to list them off, but not take up too much of our time with you, Russ, and have you, uh, get into some, some other things. Um, and also, uh, want to mention briefly that if you hover your mouse over the blogs menu item, you'll also have on the pull down menu, a detox blog where there are many more items uh, for detox for heavy metals, radioactive isotopes, and many other things um, like N-acetylcysteine or NAC is the supplement. And uh, you mix that with, you combine that with L-glycine and your body forms the master antioxidant called L-glutathione, which you can get in supplement form, but I don't I'm not sure about whether it supports the stomach acid, the, the forms that even the forms that claim that they do. So I like to take the precursors separately, NAC and L-glycine, the amino acids. And um, let's see. Uh, oh, you mentioned colostrum. That's another great one. Um, like you said, for boosting your immune system or folks uh, say they have an overactive immune system. Uh, they have an autoimmune condition. Well, colostrum is an immune modulator, so it's you know, there are decades worth of clinical studies from 
all around the world, universities that show that colostrum is good for almost every disease and condition, including immune and autoimmune conditions. So uh, just about everything. I find that if you do a, a web search of colostrum and the disease or condition, that about 98% of the time you'll find that it's helpful. Um, the cordyceps you mentioned in, increases uh, blood oxygenation up to 30%. So it's great for endurance. Uh, that's something I really noticed uh, helped my exercise endurance within a couple weeks after taking it, just a couple capsules per day. But now I take a powdered form because it's a better value from, uh, I think it's OM Nutrition. OM Nutrition is where I get it. Uh, so uh, SwansonVitamins.com, by the way, unless you, you have a better uh, source for that. Or anything else? So what what do you think of what um, I just mentioned, or any other items you might suggest? I, yeah, I think that's uh, great information, and and I mean these supplement these uh, supplements that we mentioned have so much research available. Um, mainstream media might make the public think there's really not much research. It's sketchy. It's absolutely not true. We have so much information, and and going on about uh, cordyceps. I mean, we could go on all day about all of these things. You know, it actually. Uh, uh, has uh, in in uh, tests it has shown um, anti-tumor activity. Um, it actually stimulates the formation of immunoglobulins uh, G and M. Um, in uh, in some of the animal studies, it shows anti-tumor, um, and that's effective with lymphoma and even other cancers. Then they've done in vitro studies um, that show it actually inhibits the proliferation of human. Um, um, uh, human leukocyte. So it, uh, how do I explain this? It's, it's um, white blood cells uh, of the uh, leukemic cells, like uh, you know, by 78, 78 to 83 percent is in a information I'm looking at right now, which is from our own research. And you I could didn't. go on, yeah, and you could go on and on about this. It stimulates uh, the NK, the natural killer cells that we hear about in our bodies and and that's and i mean i could go on and on about cordyceps um but these substances are just amazing what they do there's so much natural medicine that could solve so many of the world problems and uh, natural uh, natural news i mean uh, uh mainstream media news is not going to uh tell you this so i'm glad for radio shows like this that will get the truth out about these things glad you do what you do well thanks and i didn't know all that about cordyceps i just thought well increases blood oxygenation that's good enough for me so yeah if you can improve oxygen i it makes sense that uh it'd be uh anti-cancer uh, you know since cancer is anaerobic and can't meaning can't survive in the presence of oxygen so let's uh let's talk about um what are some of the uh, proofs in literature of uh of you know these these geoengineering chemtrail spraying programs well, um, here's the problem with these geoengineering programs, and I will, I'll start by just trying to make the field clear for the public, is that there have been meetings for the last uh, more than 10 years in universities and among scientists from different nature, uh, nations about the prospect of geoengineering, which is the process uh, of putting particulates into the atmosphere to control supposed global warming. The problem, the problem is that by increasing the aerosol particulates in the air, you actually increase the thermal inertia in the thermal uh, capacity of the Earth, which actually, in the long term, actually increases warming. So that type of geoengineering is not effective 
to uh, lower temperature. They say that you can use aluminum. That was one of the things that are specifically mentioned in these uh, scholarly meetings that have been taking place for well over a decade called geoengineering. But the problem, and this is called, uh, by putting aluminum in, they want to re uh, increase the reflectivity of the Earth, reflect sun uh, light away from the Earth so that not as much of it reaches the ground and lower the temperature. The problem is, once again, you're increasing the thermal capacitance of the atmosphere, which ultimately raises temperature, not lowers it. Here's the problem, though. A lot of people refer to what's going on in the sky who know the spraying is taking place, like myself, someone who smells it and tastes it, along with uh, many, many others I've known, met, and had contact with that also smell and taste it. Um, and the the problem is is that the academics will tell you that geoengineering is not taking place yet. So what's happening in the sky is not geoengineering. It's not this process or this uh, science that's supposed to be executed for the purpose of modulating global warming, which is a whole nother. Oh, what is it? Well, in my area, I have checked out many planes over a period of time, and the jets that are leaving trails are unmarked jets. They're silver or white, and none of them have transponders. And what that means is they're military. All of the jets that are commercial jets, meaning they look like commercial jets and they have transponders, those don't leave trails. So how do you how do you know that they don't have transponders? You can go to web services. There's a couple of them. One of them is Flight Radar 24, and you can actually track all commercial flights. You can find out what jet it is, where it left from, what time it left, where it's arriving, what time it will arrive, what flight path it took. Amazing database of information. If you see a jet over your house and you go on Flight Radar 24 and it's not there, it's not showing up in their database, it's a military jet, it doesn't have a transponder. And so this is one of the, all the military jets, or so many of them, in my case, all the ones that I've checked, all of the military jets I've checked have trails and all of the commercial jets do not. So Skynet. <laughs> this is a military operation. You know, there's something going on. They're obviously releasing an enormous amount of particles for us to be able to measure that much aluminum and rainwater. And in places in Shasta County, they have orders of magnitude above what we measured in Maine. They have thousands of milligrams per liter, 10,000 or more milligram, or micrograms. So we're talking about milligrams per liter of aluminum that literally kills plants, animals, and insects. And so where is this coming from? This is not coming from your typical jet fuel. This is an, a deliberate program that is emitting absolutely enormous amounts of aluminum, barium, and if Dr. Uh, Marvin Herndon is correct, and I believe that he is, mercury and other, all the other toxic metals that are in coal fly ash being emitted into the air around us. And if you fly, and I'm sorry I'm talking so long, but if you are a frequent flyer for the last 20 years that you've flown, and I have, I'm not frequently for the last few years, but a few times, but as a child I did every year, there is a sh the very shimmering silvery white haze around the earth when you're at altitude, when you're at 30,000, 32,000 feet. That was not there 20 years ago. It was not there 20 years ago. I and didn't you know that. And you can see the haze in the air. I'm in Maine. Uh, traditionally, in the 
in the places where I've been, there was no haze. You'd have 30 mile plus visibility. It was beautiful, clear. You don't have that anymore. You can see the haze even in one mile of visibility these days, almost all the time. So that is not natural. There is that, that is more evidence. I don't need that evidence because I smell and taste this stuff in the air wave after wave as those particulates reach ground level and it makes me sick and it makes me nauseous and it gives me headaches and all kinds of health issues along with those around me who even if they can't smell or taste it, I don't need that evidence, but that evidence is there for everyone to see if they want to look at those particulates, the haze and the shimmering, shiny, white, silvery atmosphere that our earth now has that it did not have 20 years ago. Yeah, well, I see the shimmering um, of the of the chemtrails themselves, but I didn't know that we had a layer, a haze, a continuous haze like that. And uh, and you know the um, you know I, so you're saying we are there is man-made global warming, but uh, the intention is to warm the planet. Uh, you know the whether the planet is warming. Who knows? But uh, you're you're saying that this is the, um, oh gosh, uh, the, let's say the the uh, covert excuse. You, you know, publicly they're they're saying that it's not going on, but the covert excuse is uh, to try to excuse the lame excuse is is th that they're trying to counteract uh, the the cooling of the Earth. Is that what you think? Well, that's what all of these academic meetings that are promoting the idea of geoengineering are saying. But see, here's where it gets complicated, and I hope people listen, is that the idea of talking about doing something in the future, in this case geoengineering, while you're doing it now, is a psychological mechanism to convince the public that it's not happening now. So in other words, you have all of this media coverage about, you know, for the past 10 15 years especially, it's been particularly dense when the program started. It just happens to coincide with the widespread implementation of the program. You said you started seeing these things in the mid-90s, which is true with most people. This, all of this, all of this uh, academia, all of these meetings and all of the coverage uh, talking about we're going to do it in the future, but they're actually releasing particles in the air now while they tell you in the news and while they teach school children oh, these trails are just the natural side effect of high-bypass turbofan jet engines, which is an absolute lie. It is not the natural side effect of high-bypass turbofan engine. It never has been. But the idea of them just saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to have jets in the future that leave trails is something that confuses the public. And that's part of the idea, to confuse the public and help to convince the public that nothing is happening right now, that what we're seeing now is normal. Hey, but we're talking about doing the future. It's a psychological uh, method of propagandizing the public. So I hope that makes sense to people. It's just a, it's another way to confuse and confound the public about all of this. Yeah, they're even putting the chemtrails into uh, movies or uh, even old movies <laughs> to try to condition us into thinking it's normal. And, uh, you know, when it comes to global warming, I don't want to debate that. Uh, I will point out that what we, if, let's just assume there is global warming. For those who believe that there is, I don't want to argue with them. I want to 
say, well, let's unite in stopping it. According to the EPA, the biggest contributor is fluorinated gases, even though it is the least common greenhouse, alleged greenhouse gas. CO2 is the most common, you know, if they're trying to blame us for emitting, uh, you know, us the people, not industry, but, uh, you know, trying to tax us the people, that is. And yet, um, you know, then there's also methane and nitrous oxide, but um, fluorinated gases accounts for 3% of alleged greenhouse gases, according to the EPA's own website. And CO2 has a global warming potential of one. Fluorinated gases is in the thousands to tens of thousands. So if you take 80, uh, CO2's 82% divided by fluorinated gases, 3% equals 27%. Now, 27 is far less than thousands or tens of thousands of times that fluorinated gases allegedly contribute to global warming. Fluorinated gases are therefore more persistent. They're the most toxic alleged greenhouse gas. And they're the only alleged greenhouse gas that is man-made. So who other than, as I was talking earlier about big phosphate, who other than they, who is the biggest emitter, I believe, of greenhouse gases, we just don't know because they are on the honor system. They don't get monitored uh, by the EPA or Florida Department of Environmental Protection. Although there are regulations, they're not enforced because it's on the honor system. The EPA can also pull out as much water as they want from the Florida aquifer on the honor system. Who else, you know, other than big phosphate who would agree the priority is to start by ending their their fluorinated gas emissions well anyhow uh will russ any finishing thoughts in the last uh moments of the show here well i just hope people pay attention to the uh the lines in the sky and educate yourself about this when i was in school i was taught that global cooling was gonna was taking place I'm looking at a Newsweek magazine article that says exactly the same thing from 1975. So they've completely switched their position around. So be aware of the propaganda, people. Do your research and be careful. Be careful. As I always end the show, take great care. Well, thank you, Russ Tanner for, of uh, GlobalSkyWatch.com. All the information will be up at TheLiberationStation.com. Thanks for joining us. I hope you can come back sometime. I'll take great care.